got to go home ready to win. You know, starting tomorrow, we got to, you know, be aggressive. We got to be on the attack. We got to have good at bats. You know, our pitching has been really good, I think. But it's just putting everything together. We got to limit outs in the bases. We got to make the plays, and we got to have we got to have consistent at bats. There's no time to wait. There's no time to wait at all. We got to do it right, right now. <laughs> yeah, you should put that on a T-shirt. Should be the hashtag for this uh, this part of the Blue Jay season. Shouldn't it? Right, leaping now. It is Blair and Barker for a Friday. Well, it's Blair. Barker will be back on Monday. And uh, well, I was going to say, let's see what the weekend brings before we uh, we look ahead to the type of mood the, the big man may be in. The uh, Toronto Blue Jays losing 5-3 to the Baltimore Orioles last night. Um, well, stop me if you've heard this before, but they're moving into the easy part of the schedule. And uh, the easy part of the schedule begins tonight uh, against the Cleveland Guardians and against a pitcher who, well, how to put it politely, dominated them, shall we say, uh, the last time. He faced him, Tanner Bybee on the mound for the Guardians. Chris Bassett on the mound for the Blue Jays. 707 first pitch on Sportsnet 590. The fan in the Sportsnet family of television stations. Buck Martinez will join us in a few minutes to uh, talk about the Blue Jays, talk about the many, 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 many issues with this team going into the series. They are 70 and 58. Uh, they are out of the playoff still out of the wild card spot. Something I, as I said last night in Blue Jays talk, I certainly didn't think I'd be seeing on, on at any point this year. Certainly not on August 25th. We'll talk to Buck about that. Uh, Tom Hamilton, Guardians play-by-play uh, voice, will join us. And uh, Jeff Passon joins us for his regular, uh, his regular Friday appearance. We gave the skipper, John Schneider, a pass. Um, the Jays got in late last night. John usually, uh, usually does a, a Friday hit with Barker and myself, or maybe it's because I, Barker wasn't here and he didn't want to just do it with me, which entirely possible. He would not be the first person. Anyhow, we'll give him a pass. We'll get it back next week. Hey, um, I mentioned the Jays lost five, three to the Orioles last night. Uh, I mean, same old, same old Jose Barrios gave up five runs, a pair of two run homers. Anthony Santander and Cedric Mullins, not much really going on uh, for the Blue Jays in that particular game. A whole lot of what we've come to, unfortunately, come to expect from this team offensively. Um, yeah, I don't know how to put it any other way. Uh, at no point in that game did uh, you really think that the Jays were a threat uh, necessarily to uh, win it. Again, uh, Jose Barrios. Decent, retired nine in a row until uh, Adley Rushman uh, let off in the uh, in the fourth inning and Santander hit a homer. And, I mean, after that, it was just uh, the Jays didn't muster enough offensively. They may have had a chance in the seventh inning, but Danny Jansen was out. Going to third base on a double, uh, a costly error by the Jays catcher. and But par for the course, essentially, for that particular series. Uh, the Jays did win the first game of that series, 6-3, lost 7-0 and 5-3, the final two games. Anyhow, now we move on to what I uh, described 
as the easy part of the schedule, right? Three against Cleveland, three against Washington at home. Then it's off to Colorado for three games. Then it's off to Oakland for three games. Then it's home to Kansas City. Then the schedule bites. Texas at the Rogers Center, four games. The Rangers vying for the American League West title race and also, by extension, vying for a playoff spot because it's pretty clear that... um, it's pretty clear that the teams in the West are, are going to be in the, the Seattle, Texas, and Houston are going to be in the wild card race uh, all the way to the end. Then it's the Boston Red Sox, the Yankees, Tampa, Yankees, and Tampa. So this would be a good time to uh, drop the hammer, which I think is what the manager said last night, which I think is what Kevin Gossman said the night before which I think is essentially what Bo Bichette said when he first came back. He talked about the need for this team to be fearless. So, so far, we've basically what we've heard, we've heard from Bo the team needs to be fearless. We heard from Kevin Gossman, and I thought of a, a very candid statement that the team needed to show some urgency. And uh, we heard from the skipper that it's basically time to start going right, expletive, deleted now. Ross Atkins is the general manager of the Toronto Blue Jays. He did a very brief media appearance today before uh, before tonight's game. And uh, topic of conversation, well, there were really two topic of con- topics of conversation. One, Alec Manoa, as you no doubt know by now, is in Syracuse with the Buffalo uh, Bisons. It took him a couple of weeks to report after he'd been sent down. Uh, the Jays are saying that it was a, a mutual kind of a mutual thing. The Jays wanted uh, Alec Manoa to go through a battery of physical tests. There was some concern about a sore quad, some concern about a lower back issue. I, I mean, really at this point, we don't know. We don't know what's going on or what has, what will go on with Alec Manoa. Um, Ross Atkins kind of, sort of left open the door for Alec Manoa eventually having a role in September with this team, but what you hear off the record is you know, at this point, it's about getting Alec Manoa right. And if getting Alec Manoa right means leaving him down to AAA until the end of the year and trying to get him set up for next year, if that's the best thing for Alec Manoa, then that's what the Blue Jays are going to do. And indeed, that's a smart thing. That's what they should be doing uh, with Alec Manoa. So leaving aside the Alec Manoa discussion, uh, the point of emphasis, obviously, with this team is around the offense. And we, we've we've run down... I mean, in some ways, it's remarkable the Jays are 70 and 58, given their issues hitting with runners in scoring position, given their issues in the clutch, given the fact that Vladimir Guerrero Jr., I mean, his power, he's just not hitting home runs. I, I can't put it any other way. It's like he stopped hitting home runs. So John Schneider was asked about the overall picture. I'm sorry, not John Schneider. Ross Atkins was asked about the overall offensive picture for this team. Uh, there's a lot of thing, a lot of things happening in our batted ball quality that isn't playing out into scoring enough runs. Uh, I I do believe, as we've said before, that that typically turns, and I still feel really good about this group and the the collection of individuals that forms a good team in the clubhouse that. Uh, have a good chance to go on a good run. They're uh, a team that you know can really make good contact off 
any pitcher. Uh, I feel good about us making contact off the elite pitching in the game, feel good about our ability to prevent runs and, and feel really good about the defense and pitching that has occurred. And it really is a collective and I feel good about the team. I mean, this is, you know, you've known, we've all heard Ross Atkins talk by now. And, um, that's kind of what you're going to get. Um, and I understand that a lot of people listen to that and they'll roll their eyes, but really what Ross Atkins is saying, this shouldn't be earth shattering. I mean, the Jays are a process driven team. Now I, I'm also rolling my eyes at that, but the Jays are a process driven team. That is true. Everything this organization does is a process. Um, there's a, there are a lot of people that have their hands in a lot of things with this organization. Um, so yeah, very simply what the, the optimists, the Jays optimists think is, well, they're doing what they're supposed to do between games. They're doing what they're supposed to do to prepare for games. They're doing what they're supposed to do in terms of getting information to take with them into the game. The only problem is it isn't manifesting itself in wins. Um, Ross Atkins was also talked, or was also asked about the urgency or lack of urgency around this team. The, the urgency. The, the, could, could the players be pressing? This was his answer. If you ask for someone to hit balls further or to places where they aren't, you know, it's really hard. And uh, I think the question that runs through clubhouses and many fans are asking, and I'm sure some of you are wondering, is there some level of pressing? And we just don't see that. We, we get to see the work. We get to see their routines. Uh, a lot of you get to see their uh, demeanors in the clubhouse, which has remained very steady. Uh, they, they remain united and don't see low-hanging fruit that we could just, uh, you know, offer up. Having said that, it is what we focus on and look for uh, any time that there's opportunities for improvement. That's where my energy goes, not with judgment. It goes with how can I help? How can we help as a group? What small opportunities can we see that might help from a, a game planning or preparation standpoint? Uh, Caitlin McGrath of The Athletic asked uh, Ross Atkins, well, okay, if the team isn't pressing, I mean, I'm going to paraphrase it, but if the team isn't pressing, Ross, what the hell's going on? This is what it's interesting as you look at swing decisions, you look at strikeouts and walks and the contact, contact quality that I mentioned where it's not turning into as many runs as you would hope or that it, that would it suggest. Um, you know, the ball's not going over the fence as much as it does for some of our hitters, and that happens. Um, you know, I, I, what we focus on and what we look at is the work, the pregame, and I'm entirely focused on how I can help and how I can help not just our hitting coaches but our advanced scouting staff get the best possible information in front of our hitters to ensure that they have every possible angle to be the best they can be. I know like runners in scoring position hitting, it's been better this month, mm -hmm. but overall it's been, is that, can that get in guys' heads? Like is, have you seen that at all? I, I definitely a better question for the hitters and asking them that. I don't see it, you know, I, you know, but it is such a, it is such a fine motor skill and such a confidence um, skill that 
you know, that is certainly possible, but we just don't see that. Russ, when you look at some of those expected numbers uh, that haven't quite matched the reality mm -hmm. to this point in the year, do you point to adjustments that need to be made at this point? Uh, it's certainly a different equation than in April when numbers don't match up. No, I, it's not like we're not seeing with uh, our team for sure that we need to make this one adjustment. There are times where, um, you know, our team is perceived as and not just perceived as is very aggressive. But so much of that is how we're built. We are built to hit good pitching and make contact. And we are doing that. It's just not turning into the runs and the, the damage or balls going over the fence as much as it has in the past. Uh, I still feel like there's a chance that it can. How is the, the power um, outputs lined up with what you expected uh, based on the roster construction? Yeah, that's what I was alluding to, that it hasn't happened as much. But it's the, you know, then we, we look, you know, okay, our guys in really strong positions, what is their routine? How is, it differ how is it different from years past? What is their game planning preparation? How are they being tacked? Is it differently week to week, month to month, day to day, bullpen to starter? And we see the work that goes into it and feel very good about what's ahead. I mean, look, we're past the trade deadline. There's really not much else Ross Atkins can say. He can't come out and say, you know what? I put the team together. It's not a very good lineup. Uh, I should have done more at the trade deadline. I mean, he can't say that. Uh, but what I think you take away from those statements is, you know, the fact that the the Jays the Jays are clinging on to the hope that at this late date of the season, August twenty fifth something can start happening that hasn't happened so far this year. Uh, that's what you're left with. I mean, in, 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 in many ways as a baseball fan, most of the time all you have is hope. It could be worse. It could be an Oakland Athletics fan. You don't have any hope. It could be a Kansas City Royals fan. You don't have any hope. Uh, it could be a New York Yankees fan. You, you may not have any hope for three or four years given the mess that that team is in. But that's where we are with the Blue Jays right now. They are 70 and 58. Um, they could still win 90 games, 91, 92 games. They'll, should they do that? You should be in the playoff picture. But this gets back to what I've said all along. Being in the playoff picture is so 2021. It's so 2022. Being in the playoff picture was not what 2023 was about. It was never supposed to be about that. 2023 was about winning the division and taking a shot at winning the World Series. Um, and understanding that getting in via the wild card doesn't uh, preclude you from going on to win the World Series. Times Wild card teams have gone on and won a World Series. That's not that big a deal. But... Um, the Jays, the fact of the matter is the Jays, who were supposed to be the best team in this division, a lot of people said that, not just me, a lot of people said that. I know a lot of you listening out there said that and thought that. They're supposed to be the best team in this division. They are 3-10 they are this year against the team that is the best team in this division. Inside the American League East, they have the worst division record. Um. 
And now they've got to go on a run. As I said, against the, the easy part of the schedule. The Jays lineup for tonight's game is as follows. As he pulls up the Blue Jays lineup. Uh, Chris Bassett is on the mound tonight for the Blue Jays. And the Jays lineup is Merrifield, Bichette, Belt, Guerrero, Springer, Varsho, Chapman, Kirk, Kiermaier, Chris Bassett on the mound, Tanner Bybee on the mound for the Cleveland Guardians. And uh, yes, Bybee was uh, very effective the last time he faced the Blue Jays. That was when the Blue Jays were coming off. If you remember that um, remarkable uh, weekend against the Boston Red Sox, they swept the Red Sox at Fenway Park. They won the first game of their series against the Guardians 3-1. And then Tanner Bybee shut the door and Cleveland went on to win one nothing now in fairness to the blue jays in that particular game uh the jays were without bo bichette who was still in the il matt chapman was given the day off and uh kevin kiermaier was on the il as well so the lineup will be uh will be deeper tonight than it was the last time these two teams faced each other buck martinez will join us at 537 tom hamilton We'll be along at 6.05. Jeff Passan joins us at 6.35. There will be a lot of scoreboard watching tonight. The Houston Astros, because I think, I mean, I'm, I think I can go out on a limb here, folks, and say we can forget about the AL East. And I think we're on pretty safe ground in, in, in saying that, that uh, we can turn the page in that after that, uh, that performance against, against the Baltimore Orioles and just focus on the wild card. Uh, as we sit here today, the Rays lead the wild card. They're 78 and 51. They are six games up, seven and a half up on the Blue Jays. Sorry, they're 78 and 51. Uh, Seattle is 71 and 56. Houston, 72 and 57. Toronto, 70 and 58. The Boston Red Sox are 68 and 60. Throw Texas in there as well. They are leading the Central, but they are 72 and 55. They are just barely ahead of uh, Seattle and Houston, and they have lost. Seven in a row the Texas Rangers have. So tonight, the other games to watch. The uh, Dodgers are at home to take on the Boston Red Sox. I'm sorry, they're in Boston to take on the Red Sox. That will be Mookie Betts' return to Boston. The Kansas City Royals are taking on the Seattle Mariners. As I mentioned, the Houston Astros are taking on the Detroit Tigers. So I I wouldn't hold out a lot of wouldn't hold out a lot of hope for the Royals and the Tigers. pitching in tonight and um, and helping the Blue Jays as they continue their pursuit of the wild card spot in the American League. It, you know, I was thinking about more about Ross Atkins and um, and his availability today and coupling that with what we heard this week from some of the Blue Jays players and indeed from the Blue Jays, the Blue Jays manager himself. Uh, yesterday and I don't know I don't know how much point there is focusing on what is wrong with this team at this time Um, I know we I've tried not I've tried not to do that necessarily because this this really is about at this point it is about getting into the playoffs um it is about winning that wild card spot. 
And it is going to be a day-to-day thing. There are going to be days where it looks good. There are going to be days like today where they're a game and a half out where it looks a little rough. Uh, but I think you need to, if you're, if you're a fan, I think you need to focus on the hope that, um, that comes with being a baseball fan. You know, let's just take a step back for a minute. The Blue Jays rotation has been very good. The Blue Jays bullpen is deep. Um, it's got arm angles. It's got velocity. It, it's frankly much better than the bullpens we've seen with recent vintage of this team. Um, in total, the Jays' ERA is 368, which is which is really good. So, and as you know, Ross Atkins did mention a couple of times today, uh, the same guys that are scuffling offensively, right? are at least providing superior defensive plays and, and, and contributing to superior run prevention. So those are the things you can hang your hat on. Uh, I, I guess if you want, you can sort of adopt the Ross Atkins approach and, and, and trust that all the underlying numbers, that at some point all those underlying numbers are going to manifest themselves in, uh, in more offensive production. But I think the safest thing to do, frankly, is just look at this team and think they're going to have to win a whole hell of a lot of 3-2, 4-3 games. That's just the way it's going to be. Um, even against some of these quote-unquote weaker teams. And yes, that's not where any of us expected we'd be at this point in the season on August 25th. I don't, I don't think we expected to be looking for threads to hang on to. But that is nonetheless where we are right now. And um, as John Schneider would say, uh, the time to get going starts tonight against the Cleveland Guardians. The schedule is in your favor. Win as many games as you can. It'd be nice to go on a little run if you're the Blue Jays, but the idea is win as many games as you can, win a series, and... I mean, that's really, at this point, that's all you can do. You've got no head-to-head games against Houston. You've got four head-to-head games against Texas. You've got no head-to-head games against Seattle. You've got three head-to-head games against Boston. So all those teams that are, that are around you, um, you basically got to pick off as many wins as you can and then try to win those particular series. That's, that's the extent of it, if you are the Toronto Blue Jays. Uh, 707 will be the first pitch tonight on Sportsnet and the Sportsnet Radio Network. Buck Martinez and Dan Schulman will have the call of the game. Buck Martinez joins us next. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590. The fan, the Sportsnet Radio Network and Sportsnet. Dive deep into Toronto sports and the NFL. The J.D. Bunkus podcast. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Jeff Passan and Tom Hamilton will join us later on in the show. 
we get you set for tonight's game between the Jays and the Guardians. 707 first pitch on Sportsnet 590, the fan. And a Sportsnet, the Jays, 70 and 58, coming off a 5-3 loss to the Baltimore Orioles, a series loss to the American League East leading Baltimore Orioles. The Jays are 3 and 10. We'll finish the year 3 and 10 against the Baltimore Orioles. They are a game and a half out of the wild card in the American League, or the last wild card spot, I should say, in the American League. So we've, in the past couple of days, heard Kevin Gossman demand a sense of urgency from the team. We have seen John Schneider, the manager, reinforce that after last night's loss. Um, The schedule, theoretically at least, gets easier for the Blue Jays in these next couple of weeks. So having said that, what should our confidence level be that this team will approach these games with, quote, more urgency? And I don't know, is there is urgency the answer? Let's bring in Buck Martinez, Sportsnet Blue Jays analyst from Rogers Center. Buck, thanks so much for joining us today. Good to, uh, good to chat with you again. Uh, look, we've heard all these words from John Schneider and Kevin Gossman and, and the players, and everybody knows what's happened, and everybody knows what needs to happen and all that stuff. Um, a sense of urgency. What does that say to you as someone who's played the game and managed the game? Running out of time. <laughs> You're running out of time. You know what? When you, when you have 150 games left in your schedule, single games don't mean much. But when you have 35 games left in your schedule, oh, man, you know, we got to get hot. And uh, urgency is a good word. Uh, you know what? Bill Parcells, Bill Parcells has said it all along. You are what your record says you are. And you know what? We keep saying, well, this team's going to hit. Well, they haven't. And until they do, we got to believe that they're not going to. I mean, there's nothing that's encouraging about this team right now that makes you think they're going to hit. Uh, you know, they're swinging a lot of bad pitches. They're just not patient. They don't have a plan when they go to the plate. And the sad story of this whole thing is they're wasting some phenomenal pitching. You know, they have played uh, 32 games or 37 games since the All-Star break. And only nine times have the starting pitchers given up more than three runs. Mm. That's pretty phenomenal. And, you know, the bullpen has been right there with him in lockstep. The bullpen has been phenomenal. But, you know, what? they're just not hitting. And maybe this is who they are. Maybe we just have to resolve ourselves to that. But, you know what, it's up to them. they got 15 games now with teams under 500. If they don't go 12-3, and three, then the season's over in my mind. they got to put together a hot streak. Um. I, you know, I know we've talked about this. I'm not, and I'm not going to ask you what you think the issue is with this team. But um, look, we you know we see signs, right? We saw it's almost like a bunch of false springs wrapped up into one season. That series against the Red Sox at Fenway Park, they sweep the Red Sox, and you kind of feel you know you kind of feel good. Then you go into Cleveland, you run into some good pitching, and you're kind of back to where you were before. And then you know you have a. a I, I got to tell you that first first game against the Orioles, the way the Jays won it with that, you know, tenth inning approach where you go up and you hit a home run in the first pitch, swing at the next pitch, get a hit. I mean, it was just, and then all of a sudden that stopped as well. Now I understand that at some point you got to credit the pitching. Pitching's awfully good. I get all that. But what is it about this team, Buck, that just it, it's almost as if they are scared to have an approach 
uh, from top to bottom the way we see the Orioles do, the way we see other teams do? Well, you know what, Jeff? There are a lot of guys in the lineup that swing the same way and have the same weaknesses. And when you have a pitcher get into a groove on a given night, throwing the same pitches up and away, up and in, down and away with a breaking ball, and everybody chases, then they're going to have a good night. So I think with the Orioles, you make a great point because there are a lot of different looks in that lineup, a lot of different swings. They've got switch hitters, top of the order. They've got left-handed bats and right-handed bats, but they're different hitters, mm-hmm. they're different kinds of hitters. The Blue Jays have a whole bunch of guys that swing the same way all the time. And I think, you know, Bo's the only guy that has a different swing for different pitches, and he's the guy that makes the adjustments, and he can hit different pitches in different areas to different parts of the plate. And that's what you have to do in this day and age. You can't take one particular swing up there every day and expect to have success. And it's just not going to work that way. So you have to start thinking about making some adjustments. But, you know, here we are, 25th of August, and we haven't seen many adjustments since April, I guess. And uh, it's been pretty pretty disappointing, I think, because this team was supposed to be a very good team coming out of spring training. And we haven't seen that offensive urgency. And I bring that word up again because it's just like, okay, these games, we're running out of time, boys. We've got to do something now. And you know what? John Snyder said it before the game. We've got to start tonight. We can't worry about Washington. We can't worry about Colorado, Kansas City. We've got to worry about this game tonight and beat Cleveland. You know, last year around this time, Bo Bichette was hitting 260. I think I looked at it. He was around 260 at this time. Uh, you know, he'd been, John Schneider moved him into the seventh spot a couple of, uh, for a couple of games. And there just kind of wasn't a wasn't a lot going on in Buck. We all know what Bo did in September. He had he had a terrific September. He is one of the best players in the majors in that month, and he continued it over through this year. Do you see anything that suggests Vladdy can do something like that this month? Because the parallels are they're different players. I get that, but man, the parallels are awfully awfully similar when you look at where Bo's year was last year and where Vladdy's year is this year. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, we have put these guys uh, one two for a long time, going back to their days in the minor leagues, and I think they, they can feed off one another, but I think right now, and, and Bo will chase, and Bo will hit balls out of the zone for base hits, and, and Bo will not always hit uh, mistakes. He hits tough pitches for base hits, but I think right now, Vladdy is chasing hits and, and he's anticipating he's going to get a good pitch to hit on the first pitch and swings at a lot of pitches that you know aren't good pitches to hit and i know it's a difficult thing i mean i never was a great hitter I, I know it's a difficult challenge but at the same time ronnie has had success in the major leagues and he has success when he waits things out and gets good pitches to hit that's when he's had his best yeah, I got to ask you this because you know, I covered his dad, and when when Vladdy came up, we heard a lot of talk about, well, you know, Vladdy's dad was the guy that could double off a pitch that bounced in the dirt and and all this stuff. And I mean, he was he Vladdy Senior was a freakishly good good hitter. He was just he was built a certain way that allowed him to do all that stuff. Do you think that maybe? I can't get into Vladdy's head. I don't think you want to get into Vladdy's head either. But do you think that maybe he's kind of labored under the idea that, you know, your dad did this, so you you kind of need to be the same guy? I mean, I've often thought about that. Yeah, I don't think that's the case because Vladdy's had uh, a couple of real good years, and I think he established his own identity. So I don't think he is 
playing under the shadow or under the expectations of trying to be his dad who's a Hall of Famer. But Vladdy Sr. was a lot like Bo is mm-hmm. in that he had a different swing for every pitch. He didn't have one swing that was grooved in one particular area. Like you say, he could hit a bouncing ball to the wall in right center. But, but Bo's kind of that guy where he can have different angles of the bat and hit different pitches, top of the zone, bottom of the zone, down and in, down and away. He can cover a lot of different pitches. But Vladdy is not like that. Vladdy is best when he gets the ball in the middle of the plate and targets right center. That's when he has had his best. We have seen it consistently where you can't get him out when he's patiently doing that. But I think right now he is a, a little bit under the gun. He's trying to catch up. And it's hard to catch up when you've played 130 games and you only have 35 or so left. You can't make up for those 130 games. You just have to do the best you can for the next 35 games. And whatever that is, that means you've got to get the pitches to hit and take your walks when they're there and take the, drive the ball when you need to drive the ball with guys on base. But I, I think that, uh, you know, it's still possible. Anything is possible, and he certainly has the talent to come through and do that. But until he's uh, a little more patient, a little more selective, I don't think that's going to happen. You know, this may be, depending on who you talk to, it certainly seems as if there's a very good chance that this, this will be Terry Francona's last series uh, managing in Toronto with the Cleveland Guardians. Uh, you know, the indications are Terry's dropped some hints about this being his last year. We know he's had health issues. He's got he's got some surgery ahead of him, apparently, for various aches and pains. Uh, if he does call it uh, a day after this year, Buck, he really he's been a remarkable manager, hasn't he? The, 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 the things he's done and the cities he's done it in, the personalities he's done it with and the players he's done it with. Yeah, he's a Hall of Fame manager, no question in my mind. He is a Hall of Fame manager that has had a wonderful career. He had a string of 16 consecutive winning seasons snapped a couple of years ago, and only Joe McCarthy and Sparky Anderson have had longer consecutive winning seasons than Terry Francona. Earl Weaver also had a 16 consecutive seasons of winning baseball, and that's one more than Bobby Compton. So I, I think you have to uh, admit, and I will say it, he's a Hall of Fame manager in my mind. And he has done it consistently with the same approach, high expectations, old school, play the game right, respect the game, and good things will happen to you. And he's been a terrific manager for a long time. What do you think it is about his personality that has allowed him to, you know, to, to have that approach with, as I said, a variety of players, a variety of different teams? There's, there has to be something about Terry Francona, the person, right, that allows him to take that message and make it work with a bunch of, I mean, even this team went to the playoffs last year. A young Guardians team went to the playoffs last year. There has to be something about his personality, Buck, that allows him to do that. Absolutely. You know, he loves the game. He enjoys the game, and he knows how hard the game is to play. When he came out of college, he was the best college player in the country, and everybody expected him to have a terrific long-time career, but injuries robbed him of that. And I think it's a quality that Bobby Cox had as well, because Bobby wanted to be such a great player, but he never had the skill set to be a great player. So he appreciates what it is to be a great player, and he doesn't want to see great players waste that opportunity. And I think Terry has fun managing. I think he wants his players to have fun managing. But at the same time, like Bobby Cox, his expectations for you to perform are very high. 
And if he doesn't see that effort, if he doesn't see that dedication, he's going to come down on you and come down on your heart. But I think players respect that. You know, ball players, uh, they're, they're kind of like kids in many regards. They need leadership. They need direction. They need guidance. And they need standards. And I think he presents all of those things in a very timely fashion. And he does it with a great sense of humor. He's got a tremendous sense of humor. And he knows that uh, when you need to kick somebody in the butt, you can do that. And when you need to pat him on the back, you can do that, too. Buck, really appreciate your time today. Thanks so much. Good to hear from you again. Have a great call tonight. Thanks, Jeff. Good to be with you. Be well. That's Buck Martinez, Blue Jays analyst on Sportsnet. 707 will be the first pitch. So 12-3 and is what Buck would like to see from this team over the next 15 games against teams that are under 500. Uh, if you do the math, there's, what, 35 games left, did we say? And um, I'm going to do some quick math here to figure out. 35, 34 games left. Uh, 34 games left. Jays are 70 and 58, probably to be in the safe side. And again, it's hard to tell because, because Seattle, Houston, and Texas could end up beating up on each other a little bit, although Seattle's schedule is, is, is almost revoltingly easy uh, the rest of the way. So you ask yourself, what do the what do the Jays need to get into the get into the the wild card? Would ninety one wins do it? You know, 92, 93 probably be a little more comfortable. So, um, let's say just for argument's sake, let's say ninety three wins, uh, twenty three and eleven. Um, ninety two wins would be what twenty two and twelve. My math here. So I yeah, look there you go, fifteen games. Buck Martinez. Thinks twelve and three uh, should be on the table, and that's what the Jays. That's what the Jays need to do. And the question is, do you have confidence in whether or not the Jays are able to do that? I I do like what 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 Buck said. Listen, I I understand why Ross Atkins is saying what he's saying. I get it completely, but um, you know, we have I I haven't seen I haven't seen evidence so far that all those underlying offensive numbers are going to translate into, are, are going to miraculously translate into something um, in the next five weeks. I mean, this lineup is what the lineup is. Uh, there's, everybody's healthy. Um, I think the Jays have the second fewest games. This is the other thing that's got to be frustrating to a lot of people around the organization. If I'm not mistaken, the Jays have lost the second fewest gamed injuries this year uh, in baseball. And, you know, that, that's the other aspect here, right? This team has largely, has largely been healthy. And so you can't sit there and say, well, they've never been healthy at any point in this season. And now that they've got everybody back together, they're going to go on a run. They've had good health. They just have not been able to, uh, they've not been able to put it together offensively uh, consistently enough. And I guess the question is, and the back leg line is 416-413-3959. It's always open. You know, we'll ask you that in the back leg line. I mean, do you have confidence that this team can pull off something like a 12-3 and run? Let's see what Timothy in Vancouver says. Yeah, hey, Jeff. Happy Friday. Um, I just want to echo on uh, discussion that uh, Buck and Dan had during the Cincinnati series regarding Jory Votto's chance of uh, making it to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame. And then they sort of uh, diplomatically had a discussion about uh, – whether first basemen sometimes have a bumpier road to Cooperstown. I'm just wondering if you thought there was anything to that or 
uh, maybe you can add a little texture on how, when you were voting for Hall of Fame, um, did you hold first baseman under a different light, or were you pretty even-handed in your assessment? Curious, curious to know your answer. Thanks. Have a great day. Yeah, I, I mean, I guess I'm kind of, I've sort of said infamously, um, when I do my Hall of Fame ballot, I start out with the idea that 10 is way too many. Um, I, I mean, they're just voting. I don't like getting into a situation where you're trading votes and one guy's on the ballot one year and then the next year the ballot's a little stronger, so he falls off. The next year the ballot's a little weaker, so he goes back on. And th listen, and I, I mean, I don't want to get in discussion about Hall of Fame balloting, how it's done necessarily. Everybody approaches it differently. I prefer to take a very small, I, I approach my ballot with the idea that three is probably about as high as I'm going to go. And I try to be as consistent as possible with that. Yeah, I can get obstinate. Like I was one of those guys that voted for all the steroid guys all the time just to prove a point. Um, but first baseman, you know, I, I don't know if they've been held to necessarily held to a different standard. What, what I think is, what I think hurts first baseman, and, and I think about this particularly with, with Keith Hernandez. First base is kind of an odd position, and I don't think, and I, I don't pretend to know why it is, but I've always thought we've, we don't value first base defense as much when it comes to making Hall of Fame selections as we do at other positions. I'm thinking of some of the, the, the best, I mean, the best defensive first baseman I've ever seen, I've seen was Keith Hernandez. In my lifetime, there was nobody, I don't, I don't think anybody in the same level. Don Mattingly was a terrific defensive first baseman. I mean, you can get into guys like Lyle Overbay, who I think was the best of first defensive first baseman the Blue Jays have had since I was here, but he's clearly not in that discussion. Where, where I think that, um, where I think that, that, that Dan and Buck, and I'm trying to remember the conversation. I vaguely remember it, Timothy, but I think what they were getting at is the expectations out of the first base position are probably harder to quantify than for any other, you know, for any other position. I mean, let's even use the eye test. You know what? This is a perfect question, actually, because it gets to Vladdy, okay? And it, not to pile on Vladdy, but think of the eye test. You watch Ozzie... Watch Dozzy Smith. Pick a great defensive shortstop. Omar Vizquel, who's not going to get in for a variety of other reasons. But your eyes will tell you. You watch a shortstop. That guy's great. That guy's a great defensive shortstop. You know, even Derek Jeter got in the Hall of Fame, but we all knew that Derek Jeter's defense was diminishing as time went on. What makes a good defensive first baseman? How do you judge that? You know, we have you know, Kevin Barker sitting beside me a lot, and Barker was a first baseman. Barker was a good defensive first baseman. Watching him break down some of the subtle mistakes Vladdy made at first base, you know, we've talked about uh, the game a couple of weeks ago. Santiago Espinal gets charged with a throwing error, and it wouldn't have been an error had Vladdy put his foot at the corner of the bag and stretched. The ball would have been caught in the air and would have been an out. And we saw that a couple of nights ago, <coughs> pardon me, where Vladdy, his footwork around the bag wasn't that great. Now, 
You can be watching the game and have someone tell you that, and you come away thinking, wow, Vlade didn't have a good game defensively. But if you're sitting in the bar watching it, you would have missed it. You would have thought, Santiago Espinal, what the hell are you doing sailing the throw? So I guess what I'm getting at is I, I think it's it's a position that is hard to understand. And it's weird because everybody, not everybody, but a lot of people think first base is the easiest position in baseball, right? That's where you stick your big slow guy. Stick him at first base. And it's not necessarily the case. So I, I think that 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 Buck and Dan really did hit on something. As for Joey Votto, um, you know, the only thing Joey Votto, absent from his uh, Hall of Fame resume, is postseason success. Um, but they are right. Uh, it, it's, you know, it is remarkable how many terrific first basemen barely get a sniff of the Hall of Fame and 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 uh, in Hall of Fame voting anyhow. And I think Keith Hernandez is is the perfect example because if you talk to guys who played in that era, they'll they'll tell you how good Keith Hernandez was. They'll tell you how good Keith Hernandez was. Keith, Keith Hernandez was, if ever anybody was a magician around first base, it was Keith Hernandez. And yet, for whatever reason, it's kind of undervalued. Um, but it's a good question, Timothy. And and um, and yeah, and, and and Buck and Dan are right. I I really do think people uh, people just view that position differently. It's it's weird, and it's uh, it's one of those things. But for me, when it comes to voting for a Hall of Famer, I, I generally don't take into account the position. Um, if you're a Hall of Famer, you're a Hall of Famer. Time now for Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Mr. Azaparty, what's up? Not too much, Jeff. We survived the week together, eh? More or less. Well, still an hour to go. Don't get <laughs> That's too, true. Don't get too damn true. cocky. <laughs> Fair point. Okay, so we heard the John Schneider. off the rails awfully fast. Uh, you know, it true. has. We have Especially without the week. engineer here, without, yeah, without Barker here. This oh, I thought you meant Boffo, for... without Boffo. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't know if Boffo's the engineer. But... <laughs> wow, that's, that's heavy praise for Kevin. Anyway. It is. Um, so we heard John Schneider's uh, quote, if you want to hear it one more time. Uh, let's we hear it one more right time. Now. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so urgency, what does that mean? Win now. So let's just go straight up match odds for tonight. Cleveland versus Toronto. Both the Guardians and the Blue Jays coming off disappointing series. Both dropped two of three to the Dodgers and the Orioles, respectively. Uh, so what do you think about tonight? Do you think this is urgency for the Jays? Do they pull it off tonight? Uh, Tanner Bybee, four and one over his last five starts. Chris Bassett, he's been pretty good. Bassett has been a really good pitcher. Uh, it has been a good pitcher at home. Uh, you know, I would think that the Jays faced Tanner Bybee not so long ago, right? When were we looking at it? What date did they face, did they face him on? Did they, do, so let me give you some stuff on because, Tanner. Well, let me just let me just let me just work here. All let right, me just right. work here. So here while you're doing that, why are okay, you August eighth. So the question is, seventeen days. Can they remember? Will they? Can they facing the same guy for the second time in seventeen days? Will they be able to make adjustments? Uh, huh. What are they there? Three and five over the eight games. The room money line. They've been money line favorites in their last ten matchups. The Blue Jays. Man, I'm I'm gonna go, I'm gonna I'm gonna go with it. I feel again. I feel this weird optimism. I'm gonna go with the Jays. You're the one person that feels the optimism the in this. Area. Well, Ross Atkins makes me feel like an optimist. So here we mentioned both pitchers. You mentioned Bassett. He's he's. Um... He leads the Jays in wins, which I was uh, a little bit surprised at, but I guess shouldn't be. Uh, and then you mentioned Tanner. Both guys always start the game strong. What about what about this bet on Bet Rivers? Total runs in the first inning. Would you go over 
0.5 or under 0.5? You think any team will score in the first inning? Oh, yeah. Over. Easy. Uh, absolutely. I mean, we've seen Chris Bassett have good games where he does give up a run and then and then settles in. Yeah. Um, yeah, I would absolutely. I would have no problem at all taking the over. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, uh, I don't know. They seem to start strong. Uh, you know what? I would lean to the under. I think that's one of the most underrated bets on these sites, especially on Bet Rivers, is the no runs in the first inning. Just got to get three quick outs, although it is the top of the order. I don't know. I find it very intriguing, that, that betting line, whether or not teams can score in the first inning. Guys are fresh. They're coming in hot. I don't know. Yeah, the Jays will. Uh, the Jays got in a little late from last night. I mean, I've, I've got to think. So. I, I mean... Here's the stat for you. Bassett has allowed a run in the first inning just once in his last 11 starts. Well, well uh, Tanner has done so three times in, in, the, in his last nine outings. So I guess you expect a, a solid performance. I guess I would go the under. Mm, I'm going to take the under then. You changed my mind. I have no convictions That's when it comes to this for. thing. I'm not it's, not, it's not like I'm betting money on it. That's what I'm here you for. You know, I have, no, I have no conviction on this thing. Um... That was Between the Lines, brought to you by Bet Rivers. It's a whole new game. Tom Hamilton is the voice of the Cleveland Guardians. We'll talk to Tom about Terry Francona. Again, this could be uh, Tito's uh, final game as a major league manager. He has indicated he's going to step down. Final game in Toronto, I should say, as a major league manager. So, I mean, it'd be nice if at some point they show his face in the video board and maybe you give him a, give him a round of applause. Uh, we'll talk to Tom Hamilton about that. And Jeff Passan joins us, which, yes, means we'll have a little Otani talk. Maybe a lot of Otani talk. It's Blair and Barker on Sportsnet 590, The Fan and Sportsnet.